Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there is a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The New Orleans Pelicans Welcome to In The Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Dua and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In The Know. We are in the middle of a pretty disappointing Pelicans losing. It's not a streak, I guess, technically, because they won against the Kings. But Kings aren't an NBA team. It's a, it's a losing streak. <laughs> it's a losing streak, right? Um, but the Pelicans are on this road trip where they have lost every game but the Kings. Um, and they had, there was one postponement against Dallas, which is technically not a loss. And I will take that. Um, but, you know, the Pelicans aren't in great shape. And Twitter is doing its thing when, when the Pelicans starts losing. So we are here <laughs> to talk you through all of that and, and more. Um, so, Mason, uh, have you thrown out the season yet? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's lost, right? It's like we should have like a, a degree or like a, a tracker with like how on a scale of like, green to red how lost is the season every week i think that would be a really good addition um but (laughs) it's uh i mean there's been drastic overreactions um i don't think this team is playing well let's let's get that out of the way but also the 
the, what I've been harping on is like this road trip one, this road trip sucks. They're doing longer road trips because of the pandemic, which I think is totally reasonable to, to limit the tra- travel as much as possible or limit the number of miles travel, I guess, or number of times you got to get on planes. Um, but they've also, they've also played not just good teams. I mean, the Clippers, Lakers, and Jazz may well, may well based on how poorly Denver started, they could be the top three teams in the West while all said and done. And so not only that, but those three teams are uniquely positioned to to beat the type of team the Pelicans have in terms of or how they want to play. A bad in team. Terms of, They're yeah. uniquely positioned to beat a bad team. <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. But when you look at, you look at these teams good with teams. With, with these teams with good rim protectors like AD and with Gobert and the Pelicans obviously don't shoot threes and they want to get their points in the paint. Zion does not care for that though. And Zion will score because Zion's a monster. Um, but other than that, that's kind of how they want to get their points unless you're Lonzo. Um, and then on the other, <laughs> <laughs> and then on the other side of the ball, I mean, they've, they face teams that shoot a lot of threes and shoot well from three. And so it's been um, a perfect storm of, of crap uh, for this road trip. And the schedule eases up starting tonight against Minnesota. A lot of home games, a lot of winnable games. Um, how many they do win uh, is subject to uh, anyone's belief because, I mean, they've, they lost to the Hornets, so who knows. But, um, but, but you know. They, Dude, the Hornets are good. They have LaMelo. <laughs> I mean, I'm a big, big LaMelo guy. I'm pretty sure he's going to be my keeper on my fantasy basketball team. So I am all in on the uh, – give me all the LaMelo ball stock. Um, but – but yeah, I mean, I, I think things are about to take a turn and whether that's because the Pelicans improve or it's because the schedule gets easier. Um, we know that there's, it doesn't matter which one's true and which one's false. That's how fans will react. So, um, you know, and it's, it's understandable, but, but yeah, uh, it's, it's been a rough few games. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you're one of those people that where the world is falling down, go ahead, you know, enjoy the game. However you want to enjoy it. If that brings you joy, sure. good for you. You know, I think previously on this pod, uh, we used to try to walk people off the ledge. And frankly, like, I feel like it's a waste of energy <laughs> at this point. Um, and, you know, we're not anybody that's going to be telling people how to sh- they should be watching the game. So enjoy how you want to enjoy. Uh, as far as how I feel where the Pelicans are, uh, they're five and nine after perhaps the toughest portion of their schedule. Once again, due to national TV scheduling, the Pelicans have a difficult strength of schedule early on. They, I think from here on out till this half of the season ends, it's about the ninth easiest. Um, it's going to be significantly easier. They're, they're not going to be playing as many great teams as, as you mentioned. Um, you know, one of the reasons the Grizzlies do so well is because John Morant is just, no one wants to watch him. They don't get put on national TV games and, and they get an easy schedule. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I had to get that shot <laughs> after all the trash that, that has been coming our way. I was waiting to react until you reacted yourself to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but, but seriously, the, you know, as far as the strength of schedule goes, the Pelicans have had a difficult one and I believe things should be improving unless the Pelicans face their usual, usual litany of injuries uh, in, in which case, I am also not going to be too disappointed because it's one of the greatest drafts in a while. I'm, I'm very excited for this upcoming draft. So it'll take a lot to, to kind of to tear me down. And, you know, I, I think a Zion Williamson injury would tear me down for sure. A Brandon Ingram injury would tear me down for sure. Uh, so I'm hoping with all my heart that that doesn't happen. But other than that, you know, this isn't whatever. Uh, yeah. I, I think they're going to get better. I think they're going to get better defensively. Uh, one thing that's important 
uh, outside of their atrocious defense these past few games is the Pelicans are actually doing a decent job of scoring the ball. Uh, their offensive efficiency has been remarkably better than what it was in the beginning of the season. And partially, I think it's due to Zion just bulldozing anyone and everyone over the last seven games. He's averaging 27 point, I think 27 and a half points a game. He's shooting like 64% from the field. Uh, it's like a true shooting of like 67%. Uh, he has been a completely different player than he was in the beginning of the season. And anyone that's still carrying those beginning of the season narratives, oh, he doesn't look the same. He's not doing this. They're not paying attention. Uh, this is the best Zion has looked in a Pelicans uniform ever. He is, yeah. he is absolutely destroying things. And, you know, there's guys like, as you, like you said, like Rudy Gobert just cannot do a single thing to stop him. Just can't. And and that's extremely promising for the Pelicans going forward, especially if their outside shot starts falling, uh, because the Pelicans have have the tools to be a decent offensive team between Brandon Ingram and, and Zion Williamson. I am a bit disappointed in Brandon Ingram. He has cooled off uh, pretty significantly. And, you know, I think that's a topic I'd like to discuss maybe a little bit later in the pod is mm-hmm. is Brandon Ingram um, and, and and what his play means and all that. But, you know, he's, he's still the Pelicans. Uh, I think Zion has been the Pelicans' best player over the, the last stretch of games. Um, and so, but, you know, I think Brandon Ingram's still Pelicans 1A, 1B type type person. And they need him to, to really bring it back to that level previously. Um, and I think he will. I think he will as the, as the schedule gets going earlier. So ultimately, you know, before the season started, you and I, I think both predicted this team being out of the playoffs in that play-in range. Uh, ninth or 10th seed was was around the prediction. I think maybe 10th was both of us, maybe ninth. I'm not entirely sure what, what exactly was. I'll have to go back and look at that. Um, but they seem to be on pace to be doing just that. I'm not overly concerned. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I still think, you know, if this is what rock bottom looks like for the team, um, it's way better than the rock bottom last year where they were six of 22 to start the season. Yeah. Yeah, they're five of nine. And that's, it's a huge difference in six and 22. I, I, I did not. So some of y'all may remember. Uh, so Graham McQueen used to uh, do some stuff with us on River Street shots. And he sent me, he sent a stat. He tweeted a stat out that I was convinced was just fake. And then he said it wasn't. And it's, I haven't checked it. But it's one of the most Pelican stats you'll ever possibly find. Apparently, they've been five and eight for each of the past uh, 10 seasons, including this one. Like, that feels fake. It does. <laughs> like, but, but, but yet again, it's so uniquely Pelicans <laughs> to be five and eight for each of the past 10 years, like to get to that record, just, it says so much about what's happened with this. Team I feel like that's, it feels wrong. Um, right. I feel like under Gentry, we've started like, zero and four and zero and eight. And maybe it's possible. Like after like the zero and four, no, you know, starts, they, they've won enough games to get to like five and eight. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so feel free. One of our listeners to, to, to stat check that I, I did not, but that, that was just like, that's, that would be incredible. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm with you on the, the fact that I think it's easy to say that Zion's been the Pelicans best player over the last few games and others will quickly point to his defense being a negative, a massive negative. And, the, and my response would be sure, but it's not like anyone else on the Pelicans is doing that much better <laughs> on the defensive end. Um, and, and like I said, it's, it's, it's a part of the, the, 
the teams they played are obviously, you know, v- very good. Um, and so that's been uh, a, a challenge. Uh, but I mean, what Zion's been able to do um, with the efficiency that he's done it in and just, I, I mean, I think, I think that that's going to start paying more dividends for his teammates. And I think, I, you know, I hope Stan, Stan, I feel like Stan's already done better things to get Zion the ball on the move. And I, I think, um, as he continues to like, assert himself, um, that creates more opportunities for others because, you know, no matter where you put Zion on the floor, I don't give a shit how good or bad he's shooting the ball from outside the paint. He's going to draw attention. Um, and and sooner, sooner, sooner than later, teams are going to start looking at watching out for Zion, not just in the, at the rim, not just within five or 10 feet from the rim, but they're going to be all eyes on him wherever he's on the floor. And that, you know, he doesn't need a jumper to, to attract the, uh, you know, opposing defenders and create more space for guys like B.I. I feel like I'm living in some weird world because if a young player is scoring 27 and a half points a game, shooting about 65% from the floor, that should be headlines all over the place. You know, he's missing like three shots a game. It's totally absurd what he's doing. You know, ESPN, every time he, you know, every game he plays, they'll put out a stat. Like, he's the first person to do this since Shaq. You know, he is leading the NBA right now, right now, in scoring at the rim. How absurd is that? And then to me, that needs to be the headline everywhere. And people get so lost in nitpicking everything else, which... Hey, it is a fair criticism. His defense sucks. It stinks. Woohoo. Great. This dude is doing historic things. We've seen bad defenders before. He's not a historically poor defender. Anthony Bennett (laughs) is that guy. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, there are worse defenders in the league than Zion Williamson right now. And if Zion is still this level of atrocious on defense – three to four years from now. Yeah, it's worrisome. And it's going to play into how the team should build around him. But I ain't worried about that right now. And, you know, if you're like Mac and you are worried about it right now, well, have fun, man, and enjoy your life how you want to enjoy it. To me, I want to see the big man dunk. Yeah, I'm, I I, I couldn't agree more. I, I feel like, I I don't know. Um, I feel like it's it's very interesting what players we decide to give leeway to and what players we don't. Um, and I guess it, it, it context matters, right? It's it's you know what do you expect from this player at his peak? Um, and so there are other players who um, are doing magical things <laughs> on one side of the ball, and we're not yet nitpicking the other side because you know Zion's got time. <laughs> he's he's a he's in a sophomore season, rookies are almost always bad on defense. Um, and so look, and sometimes it's, if you want to call it, I, th- I think the effort is one thing that I, th- I think is fair on the one hand, he's doing so much offensively. He's, he's probably, you know, he's definitely ex- <laughs> expending more of his energy on the offensive end and, and taking some breaks on defense, which a lot of players do spoiler. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, it, the, the attention to detail and, and I think the, uh, the effort will will come. I don't think you're ever going to see him be as uh, on the move defensively as he is on the offensive side. I'm not. That's fine. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, let's just. Um, no one wants to talk about Luca's defense the first two years in the league. No <laughs> one wants to talk about Jokic's defense. Right. You know, like 
Damian Lillard for the longest time was one of the worst defenders in the league. Kyrie Irving (laughs) was one of the worst defenders in the league. You know, I get it. I get it. But I feel like we're taking crazy pills where this dude is just a historic scoring machine. I feel like, you know, that, that that's the true sign of greatness where you're, when you're making the completely absurd look normal to where people become numb to it, you know, that that's, that's the true sign of greatness to me. And, and that's what Zion is doing to where people have become numb to his output, to where they're nitpicking anything and everything else. Yeah. And everyone, the hot topic, obviously, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more is the spacing concept. And it doesn't, it's almost like it doesn't make sense if you talk about the two things together and then talk about them the way that you do. And it's one, the one hand, it's the Pelicans don't have spacing for Zion. And on the other hand, it's Zion still putting up 30 points a game on incredible efficiency. It's like, okay, so which is it? You know, you can't, you can't try to, you can't tear down Zion when you're, you're talking about how, how crowded it is in the paint uh, because there's no spacing. And then, <laughs> it, it, it's just it doesn't make any sense to me like, you, you, like it doesn't no one wants to give the man his, his due for what he's doing um and i i just i don't know i i hope that there's a course correction coming but you know who knows but as, as we saw with with Shaq and uh and um donovan mitchell after the pelicans jazz game on on, on tnt we just like to tear down good players apparently so um the league needs to do a better job of that overall <laughs> so I guess this is a good time to lead the conversation into um, you, you brought up spacing. So let's, let's bring it into roster construction. Let's, let's talk about David Griffin for a second. Uh, there seems to be a lot of heat from, I'm just going to say it. The, the, most of the heat's coming from the Lakers crowd and the Lakers affiliated crowd and the certain people who love to pander to those, that crowd. Um, you know who you are but there's a lot of heat coming from that crowd about how David Griffin completely fumbled on roster construction for this Pelicans. And, you know, he's doing the team a huge disservice and Brandon Ingram and Zion can't thrive in this environment uh, and, and all the above. Do you feel like that's a fair allegation? No. Um, I, I think the, the concern is fair the expectation is not. I mean, look look at the team that was on the floor last year and then look at the team that was that is on the floor this year. And like and and look at and what was a, what what was possible to change in in that span, which is, you know, after the Drew Holiday trade, th- there's really I, I just don't think it's fair to to just expect a magic wand to be brushed over this team uh in, on one offseason and on top of that to make moves for this season potentially at, at the expense of future seasons. Like I, I, I am sure there's somebody that the Pelicans could have acquired for this year that helps the spacing problem more than, you know, is happening right now. I also know that Griff is not thinking about this season in a vacuum. He's thinking about the long-term and things he can do to position this Pelicans team for success. And so that that's one piece. The other piece is I don't think Griff or many, many of us saw the regression across the board from a lot of Pelicans players. Like I, I think, I think Lonzo is the easiest one to point to, but also he was you now he had a hot two months of shooting. And so I don't think it was really, it was maybe we, I think we collectively maybe overestimated the likelihood that he was going to be at least like, I, I didn't think he was going to repeat last year through three point percentage, but I thought he would get close enough to at least be a threat. He has not been. 
Um, Josh Hart can't shoot a corner three to save his life, even though he's gotten open three after open three. Um, you, you've got <laughs> Bledsoe somehow has been one of the better three-point shooters on the team, which pretty much says all you need to know. Obviously, the struggles with J.J. Redick um, have, have been very hurtful. I mean, I would, I would say that his shooting, if he was shot the way that he has throughout his career, the Pelicans probably have at least one more win, maybe two. And, and so, I mean, there's just a, a combination of factors here that don't absolve David Griffin from, from any blame. Maybe he was a little bit too optimistic on some of the guys he had, but at the same time, this is a long-term view here. We, we're, I don't think anyone within the Pelicans front office gives a shit if you really gave them truth serum about whether or not this team makes the playoffs this season. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's, that, that's kind of where I stand. I'm sure you have other topics to add to that. Yeah. I mean, to me, your whole, if you want to criticize Griffin, first, you got to figure out what standard you're holding him to. What, what is the measuring stick here? If, if your own measuring stick is the Pelicans need to be a good team this season, they should have been a playoff team, a second round team, whatever, a successful team this season. And that's the measure you're holding Griffin to. Yeah. He has absolutely failed that. Is that the measuring stick the Pelicans are holding themselves up to? Is that the measuring stick the coaching staff is holding themselves up to? I would doubt it. In fact, Stan Van Gundy explicitly said in his introductory presser, they do not look at the season in terms of wins and losses. They do not look at the season in a results-oriented way. They don't do that. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, if you're not in it to win it, why are you even in the business? If you're not trying to win, what are you doing? And I get where that mentality comes from, but there is a much bigger picture in play here. And some people just don't have the patience for it. Other people, people who knew this team would be eighth or ninth seed, are suddenly having issues with a team that is projected to be eighth or ninth. I mean, not even, not even eighth, ninth and 10th seed are suddenly having issues with a team that's on pace to go that far. I feel like there's a lot of cognitive dissonance here. Mm-hmm. Would I have done differently? Would I have done things differently if I was David Griffin? Yeah. I think there are a few things, um, a few moves I would have made that, that would have been completely different. Like for example, I probably would not have extended Adams. I think he's been really good. I I don't think there was a reason to extend him. In fact, I probably would not have made the Adams trade, period. Because in my personal philosophy in investing assets into non-star bigs, basically, or bigs that don't have card-like skills, is not the greatest way to build a roster. That's just my opinion. Have I? Am I wrong about how Zion and Adams work. Yeah. I thought, I thought that they wouldn't work that well. They have blown away my expectations when it comes to the success of this team rebounding and the success of Zion individually. I thought it'd be a lot worse. I thought it would look like the favors situation. Adams is much better than favors. I give him credit for that. I probably, I would have made that move completely different, but to say that, you know, this team isn't, living up to the expectations well i think some expectations need to be reevaluated um you already went down the roster in terms of you know yes lonzo's not performing hearts having a down year jj's having a down year 
Melly has been totally invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I fault want... Griff for that. I, I, I think expecting him to, to help this team, given I, I think we maybe gave him a little bit too much. Uh, we overinflated his value last season, despite the numbers staring us in the face that I, 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 I didn't. I, I, who's we? Sorry, fair enough. Me. <laughs> I, I, I built up this idea in my head that Melly could still be a, a stretch four, even though the numbers last season showed that that was not what he did because it was only one season of data. But, you know, that's that's on Griff. I mean, if he thought that Melly was going to be a guy who could help, because he has not. So I, I will happily fault him for that. Well, yes and no, right? So, like, I fault him for making the Adams move that puts you in a position where you couldn't meaningfully upgrade from Melly. Right, because the Pelicans right now are brushed up against the luxury tax, and they they weren't able to be a factor at all in free agency. So, like that, that's a that's a mistake. Do I think it's a costly mistake in the long run? Like, you know, if if the Pelicans were able to replace Melly with another minimum level three four, maybe they win one or two games more over the whole season than they win now does that change who David Griffin and the Pelicans want to be three years from now? No. Um, And so with Adams, even though he would not have been a a player acquisition of my choice, they went after who they thought would be a core piece. I feel like he's played well enough to where you could say he's a core piece Um, with, with Zion and Ingram and Adams and, and some of the young players, but you know, it's like your three best players have been those three by far. And it's not even been close. And I feel like, okay, well, if you, if you have those three building blocks locked in over the next two years, you can really focus on either internal development on the perimeter or just loading up on the perimeter um, and, and adding to that core, because in a vacuum, you know, if you, if you had guards, that were remotely competent instead of what the Pelicans have right now in that starting backcourt, no one in the world would be talking about Adams' spacing issues because it's not like he's playing 36 minutes a game. The Pelicans are still going moments where they're playing Zion at the five or, you know, putting, trying to put Melly next to him. They're still experimenting those areas. And, and I do believe the Pelicans plan on getting front court front court players that can play with both Adams and and Zion and give them the flexibility to play small. I think that's the plan here. So, you know, Griffin them went after a guy who they thought they might be a core piece. He's played like a core piece. That's fine. Um, Whatever. I, I, yeah, no, go for it. Uh, Well, yeah, I I mean, I I view, and this is, I think we talked about this before, but I view Adams as as a means to an end, right? I, I think he is a guy, and I, I agree with everyone who said if you're going to pay him that much money to just be a culture setter and an off-the-court help, that's 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 insane. And like, yeah, but that's not all. Like, I, I think it's critical for the Pelicans, but I agree. Like, you don't sign, you don't trade for and extend that guy the kind of money you did for someone who's just a culture setter. Like, I, I, Griff clearly viewed Adams as a piece who could be a, a a strong fit with Zion in a lot of ways. Is it the space spacer like everyone covets? No, but as we said ad nauseum on this on this podcast, there are very few fives in the league that actually provide spacing. If there are some that are competent from three point range, and that's that's nice. 
but very few provide spacing enough where defenses care to leave the paint to go defend them. And that's just, I, I feel like we can't stress that point enough on this podcast. Because well, I want to, I want to add another layer to that where defenses sure. care to leave Zion specifically. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. I think it's different to leave the paint. You know, they might leave the paint if it's a, a lesser player than Zion with Zion four or five eyes on the court or pairs of eyes will always be on him. You know, and look what he's doing still. It's crazy. And, and, and look what he's doing still. So to me, when you talk about, oh, does this fit with Zion? Spacing is just one thing. Shooting is just one component of the fit. You need to worry about the rebounding fit. You need to worry about the defense fit. You need to worry about everything else. And, and, and I think it was Adams himself who mentioned it. He's like, okay, well, it's, it's not just about me and Zion. It's about the other three other guys that are out there as well. You know, you, you got to work with everyone else. And, to, and if you have competent guard play, if you have high-level guard play, the basketball fit is so much cleaner than, than one spacing issue. Um, but I get it. I mean, and, and I don't want to underrate spacing. I, I truly think when the Pelicans team is going to be at its best, like if they're ever going to be competing, they're going to have a lineup. And it may not be a starting lineup, but they're going to have a kill lineup and that kill lineup is going to involve a player that can shoot and defend that they can put next to Zion. And he may be a center. He may be a combo forward, whatever. I don't know what that looks like, but it will be basically a four out one in situation with Zion being the one in. I, I believe that. Yeah. I, and I just want to add a little bit more to the spacing topic because so, so that's, that's the first point is around the five, the, the, the specific, the center position and, and how that, really works as far as how much space you can really give in the paint. The other piece of this is the, you know, is what even on the perimeter, what justifies as a floor spacer. Right. And it, I, I, I feel like it's also like, I, I pointed to each one more as this guy who like, yeah, he shoots great from three, but he's not, he, he doesn't have a quick trigger and he's not someone who's just going to launch and launch and launch. And so teams aren't as quick to go out and, and worry about him than other players. Like, I feel like you need, you need both, competency and quantity you need you need both those things to be truly floor spacer like i was looking at the the some of the data on clean the glass cleaning the glass and um uh, they they give percentiles based on what position you play on how you know your frequency and your accuracy and so they because the last two games were against utah utah jazz have seven players that are 50th percentile or better in uh sorry six who in frequency for three-point shooting and accuracy this this season um, the Pelicans have one and it's blood. So it's not even BI. It's not even Redick. I, you know, BI doesn't have the frequency, which I thought was actually very telling. We probably should talk a little more about that. BI is 20th percentile in, in three point frequency this season for his position, um, which is a forward. And um, his accuracy is above 50th percentile, but Bledsoe is the only guy above for both. And that's just, that's because you, you do need both of those things to, to space the floor. And that kind of comes back to the off the off season and, what of those guys were available and also guys that you feel like aren't, you aren't going to hemorrhage points on the other side of the floor. So there, there are, there's a lot more that you need than three point percentage to create true spacing. And I feel like that's also unfairly held against Griff as if there's tons of guys available to, to provide that, that level of floor spacing for someone like BI or, or, or Zion. Well, and, and that goes to another point. It's like, it's important to have guys with those percentages, but, those guys are functionally useless if you can't get them the ball or create shots for them, right? And so 
that's why this concept of creators uh, and shot creators and brings me back to the guard play that I've been been mm-hmm. yelling about for basically years, right? Is the ability to put players on the floor who make defenses commit, make defenses guess, make defenses rotate and leave those percentage guys open and are also able to deliver them the ball. There's two components. It's one to make the defense move and two deliver them the ball, right? The Pelicans suck at both of them. They do. The only guy that really warps defenses right now is, is Zion. And I mean, JJ's doing it, but JJ's, you know, 300 years old and damn at this point, at this point, <laughs> he's been, he's been easy to focus on because he's the singular threat there and, and, and teams know what to expect. And they know, they know what kind of plays that the Pelicans are running. And even then, you know, he's doing a good job of, of, of busting his ass. So, you know, credit to JJ, but taking you know, charges, like right. You know, the Pelicans have, have one guy that's, that's really drawing that level of attention, but the, the component of getting them the ball has, has eluded them, right. Ingram, when he's in the mood to do it, is is pretty darn good at it. But he's got to be in the mood to do it. And 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 I guess this is a good time to talk about Ingram, who I've personally been disappointed in this season. I, you know, he he's coming on a maximum contract. He started the season really hot. His playmaking was at a really high level at the beginning of the season. It has completely fallen off. You know, he's not assisting his teammates anymore he his scoring output is less of an issue to me uh as opposed to how he's playing i don't care how many points he scores and how efficiently he scores them that's less of an issue uh i think he's going to be a good scorer what's problematic to me is he's starting to do those things where he meets adversity and then he shrinks and if he sees a double if he's not, if he sees, okay, well, I can't get to my spot. I can't score. I'm not going to force it. He just gets rid of the ball and hides in the background. Doesn't even look to get others involved. And to me, if, if you're working in sub ideal conditions, if you're playing with the backcourt of Lonzo ball and Eric Bledsoe, and you got to do all the heavy lifting, well, do the heavy lifting, get others involved, create openings for your teammates, get them going. And then, you know, maybe you'll be able to find your own groove. To me, all of his best games, or not all of them, but a a lot of his best games have come when he's decided to be a playmaker, uh, a shot-creating entity, rather than uh, a guy who's going to, I I hate to say it, but he's been hijacking the offense frequently. And and, uh, initially, it was designed for him to kind of do so because the guards suck but he was playmaking while he was hijacking the offense. At, at this point, it just seems like he's, he's out to do it for himself. And I don't know what it is. And, and it's just a bad stretch of games. I'm not saying this is who he is or it's who he's going to be, but I need more from him on, on that end than what he's currently doing. Do you feel like this, the, I, I, I'm curious if you think that this the start to the season that he had is, unfairly is causing us to unfairly rate the most recent stretch. Like, cause I feel like he came out of the gates this season with a whole new playmaking element that we had not seen before. And now he's kind of fallen off a cliff in that regard. So I'm just wondering if like, you know, overall you feel like he's taken at least a step just, but, but the first few games are, are 
or just impacting the the level that we expected from him in the next few games? No, I think it's a willingness. I think he's like willing, willfully going into doubles and realizing he can't do anything and just kind of giving up the ball there rather than going into doubles with the idea of, okay, well, if I'm getting doubled here, I'm going to look for the best opening. He's just kind of been like, Oh, can't do anything here, whatever. And, and, and there's a mentality change. Um, And look, if, if, you're a max guy. You're going to get hell to max standards. If you're a guy that gives an interview that says he wants to kill every opponent in front of him, he wants to be the greatest. Those are your aspirations. Well, you got to do a lot more, you know, and, and that's just on offense. The second part is he's been a disaster defensively. Everyone wants to talk about Zion's defense. We're entering year five of Brandon Ingram being one of the worst defenders at his position. Year five. And something has to change there. He's got to get himself going on that end, if especially if the offense isn't working. Yeah, and it's because I mean you've got a point somewhere, right? Um, the the Pelicans up until this recent stretch, um, well, the Pelicans are an okay defensive team in aggregate, but they've had obviously they've struggled mightily over the last couple of weeks. There, I think the cleaning the glass had them as in the last two weeks, 29th in the NBA in defense. And so um, I know you've had Lonzo Ball miss a couple of games and Lonzo has been uh, one of the team's better defenders. Eric Bledsoe is, you know, not, not the most versatile defender, but he's a good defender. Steven Adams obviously is, is very solid. So, you know, these guys can all have lapses, obviously, but, but I mean, it hasn't been the same. I mean, as the Pelicans two best offensive players that just haven't, haven't carried, um, haven't pulled their weight on the defensive end. And that's not just, I mean, you know, they, they don't have to be great defenders either of them, uh, but, but they can't be as bad as we've seen. Yeah. And, and so it just kind of highlights the issues for the Pelican are, are many, they have lots mm-hmm. of issues and they go all up and down the roster. Each player in the starting lineup, you could pick apart and and find and find fatal flaws. Uh, and it just goes back to how you want to weight these things. For the long term, you know, for, for championship contention windows, the two biggest issues are indeed Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram's defensive abilities. If those are going to be your two best players, it's going to be damn hard to build a good defense around them if they're playing those two high leverage forward positions. It's going to be really hard right now. We're not in that long term in the short term. It's got to be the guard play for me, at least this is, you know, this is, this is my opinion, right? And everything I'm saying is my opinion, whatever. Um, it's got to be the guard play. I think the guard play is going to open up much better opportunities for Zion. It's going to make Ingram have less of a load on his shoulders and allow him to do what he does best, right? If you have a guy, if you have a guy that can get people into offense to, to really leverage the defense, to really leverage Ingram's ability to catch and shoot the three who, you know, the, the past jazz game, he came out the first quarter four for four from three, all of them catch and shoots. Never got those opportunities again, scored 17 points, 16 points in the first quarter, scored seven, the rest of the game. It's completely disappeared. Stop touching, you know, stop, stop going after the ball. Uh, stop trying to get his, his teammates involved. He just was a total non-factor. Stan Van Gundy also said word for word, Brandon Ingram was a non-factor for the rest of the game. You know, and, and, and that's an issue. But that issue to me is more on the guards being unable to, to create opportunities for him 
than than him. I'm, I'm giving him blame. I'm giving him responsibility because he talks big game and he should be better than that. But if there was literally anybody in the backcourt who could take that pressure off of him, you're going to have less moments where Ingram disappears. Yeah, and I think this also gets back to, and maybe we come for a circle and talk about you know the decisions made by Griff the soft season around those guard positions and specifically, specifically Bledsoe, because I think if there's another area you can point to and question, and it's something that we've seen uh, from from some fans, it's why why Bledsoe? Because you could make the case that it wasn't Adams who put this team so close to the luxury tax. It was the fact that the Pelicans decided to go with Bledsoe over like George Hill, for example, in that trade. And I, I think, you know, I, I think there's two reasons for it. And you can pick apart both of them if you if you choose to. Um, one is I, I think they wanted a tough nosed defender and someone who they felt like um, maybe had a more diverse skill set and could be a secondary or a a creator because you know we don't know what what before the season we have no idea if BI is going to take that step as a as a shot creator and a playmaker for others and so if you have George Hill he he doesn't get into the paint he's he's kind of like Lonzo in that regard and so who's going to attack and so there's a biz, there is a basketball floor fit for Bledsoe that did not exist for George Hill even though he's a much better three point shooter um, the second was. I, I think you also have to look long-term and what, who do you think is going to have more value if you can flip them? And so, um, you know, Bledsoe, who knows if he was, if the plan has, has ever been to keep him throughout the duration of his contract, or if you think he's going to get moved either way, it's a, no, I'll just, decision. I'll just say that it's not, it was never <laughs> yeah. the plan for either player, whoever they kept for them to keep them long-term yeah. and it still isn't. Yeah. And, and so, so I, I think those, those are the, I, I still agree with those reasons being the one. And, and obviously that doesn't even talk about the defensive end where Bledsoe is a, definitely a much better player than George Hill, though he's paid more. And the, the same point, the points you made with Adams, can you, you know, can you now use the MLE if you take George Hill instead of Bledsoe and grab someone else? Yeah. Like that, that's certainly possible. And that's a, you know, if you have, if you prefer George Hill plus whoever you sign for the MLE is someone, maybe you can go get a, a guy who can create. I don't think that's the route the Pelicans would have taken because You've already got so many guards with Nikhil and, um, and and Kyra. If you you know if you want to get the minutes uh, earlier on, but I, so I, I think it was still the right the right choice uh, with Bledsoe. But I do think that um, you know I, I I hear fans when if they think that it wasn't. I mean there, there's a case there, but uh, I just think it's important again to think about both the short term and the long term, and not it's not just about shooting. I think I, I think the the core takeaway from this podcast is. Basketball is a simple game, but it's also a very complicated game. There's a lot of skill sets you need to make a team good. And despite, you know, the trend of the last few years, spacing, shooting is very important. But one, spacing is hard to create. It's not just about being able to make a three. And then two, there's a lot of other things that impact the ability to, to have a sustainable offense. And so um, it, it's, it's a chess game. <laughs> and, and so I, I hear fans if they think that was the wrong choice, but, um, I, you know, I don't think it was a bad choice. Yeah, my reading of this season and going forward is, you know, this is year two of, of a rebuild for them. Maybe even year 1.5, given the uncertainty with COVID, you didn't really have Zion the first year. And and this is a brand new coach, right? So for back-to-back years, you've traded one top five player who is now a champion to, you know, a top 20, top 25 player teams don't rebound quickly from trading that kind of talent, right? Whether or not the Pelicans are successful with those guys is a separate story. That doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're easily filling those vacuums. Those guys are really, really good Two, 
you know, it's the first year of Sam and Gundy is a, it's a four year deal. It's, it's a process. Year one is establishing a foundation, laying that foundation, creating a baseline, figuring out who's what, who's who, what can they do on both ends of the floor. And it's putting, you know, Zion and Ingram in an uncomfortable position from an offensive standpoint, but it's also putting all of them in uncomfortable positions on a defensive standpoint because they suck. And so year one is, is working through that. And it's important data when it comes to roster construction. So, you know, whatever they find out, if, if by the end of the year, uh, Ingram adapts and he, and he becomes this, you know, high level creator option, it gives you a different idea of how to pursue a roster change going forward. If he turns into uh, a good defender, it gives you a different idea of how to pursue um, roster construction going forward. Same thing with Zion. You're figuring out who your, who your core pieces are. Turns out Lonzo's not a core piece. I mean, some of us may have said that for a long time, <laughs> but you know, it's important to know, like, can, is that guy who was hot for two months, you know, can, can you, can you find him again? Is, is he there? And, and he's probably, he's probably there in stretches, but is he there consistently? No, you know, uh, there, there's important data that they're gaining from this season and it will help them in becoming a better team in the long run. Yeah. And I, I want to bring that back to Adams too, because I know, and I, I hear you a hundred percent loud and clear on the why extend him. Um, I think, I think the, the, I think Griff saw the market coming because of all the star players resigning and, and the players drying up, but the cap space not drying up. And so I understand the rationale. And I also think that that last year of his contract, as you and I have discussed, it's, it's, it's trade fodder for sure as a way to match salary. But I also think to your point, it's about, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to know that, oh, uh, putting a shooter alongside Zion will, is, is a good idea offensively. But let's, let's test out some of the other stuff while we can. Let's, let's figure out, you know, as a player with Steven Adams' skill set or something similar, what are, what are the strengths and weaknesses of playing Zion with a guy like Steven Adams? And I'd rather figure that out while he's 20 and while Zion's still, you know, maturing and growing as a player than in his prime. I want to know the, every single answer by the time he comes into his prime. And so in, in that case, you know, again, well, why do you extend that guy if you don't know? Sure, I, I get it. But I think I, I'm very happy with everything else Steven Adams brings to this team on and off the floor. And I'm, I'm totally comfortable with that. And I think so far, like, like we've discussed, it's, it's paying dividends so far. It's just about what, what are the right guards to put around them? Yeah. My, you know, my difference was just a philosophical one and how I feel about big men and, and their value, but you know, philosophical differences aside from a monetary standpoint, from what he brings to the team, I think it's fair market value and, and it's not a crippling contract long-term. It lasts you the duration of the, of Zion and Jackson's rookie scale deals, lets you know who they're going to be by the end of it allows you to go a vastly different direction. If you want to uh, before they're up for their, their second contracts, so I get it. I, you know, I, I it, it's structured in a pretty team friendly way uh, going forward. So whatever um, I can't undo the acquisition, uh, so, you know, I, I got to evaluate what's ahead and, and what's evaluate evaluating what's ahead. But that combination is, is fine to me. It's absolutely fine. What I see with the guards is, is not fine. And, and I guess we can shift this topic up uh, a little bit in, into how you would approach the rest of the season. Um, and we could talk about some trades if you want uh, a, a little bit, but do you have any like 
concrete goals on on how you would approach the season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one one of the three vet guards, and that by vet guards, I also include Lonzo, got to go. I mean, you've got to. I, I think um, I'm not trying to just say let's just tank and and go for a draft pick. I'm saying let's still try to win games. But I think I think you've got to free up some minutes. Um, just even just because of what we've seen from Na and even to a lesser extent Kyra, who's been you know very limited minutes. So, but but he's. I think <laughs> we've seen a lot to like from him so far. And so you've got to create opportunities for them. And I, I think it, in a sense, you can get to some addition by subtraction in that regard, especially if you can move uh, a, a guard for someone who can really fill that backup three, four position since a, the Pelicans don't really have wing depth by, behind BI and B Melly has been just a disaster. And so that's definitely a, a clear area to upgrade, especially since the Pelicans don't really have any other young guys besides Jax, who's your backup five. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we need to get into specifics and I think, my, you know, I, I think you've, you've, you've got to move a guard at some point. And this, honestly, the sooner, the better. Um, I just, you know, if, if I think you can still accomplish your goals of trying to compete for a playoff spot and that play in game at very least while moving uh, one of your vets. Yeah, I agree. I'll go, I'll take it a step further, get rid of all three of them. Oh, all, all three right. of them. They're not going to be on this team in the future. They're just not. So if you have the opportunity to move them, take it. I get it. I get if, if there's no deals around, you don't want to, um, you don't want to be giving up assets to move these guys and, and all of that. So I get it. That's fine. But you know, if I can get anything and even second round picks for, for, for JJ, take him, take him. He's not going to be on this team. Take whatever you get, you know, Bledsoe, take him. Don't care. Bonzo. Everyone knows how I feel with that. Um, so by by doing so, I'm not when when you trade these players, it's not like you trade them and you get no player in return, right? Uh, because the Pelicans already have one open roster spot. They're not going to trade all three of these and have four open roster spots Good in point. a COVID year. It, it's not going to happen. They're going to get some players back. So it's not like you're trading them for nothing in terms of on court equity. What you're going to get back matters, and and I think the types of things that they should be going for are some some veteran forwards and wings uh, to complement the, the the big man rotation. Basically, that way you can one open up playtime for Nikhil for Kyra, um, and I guess you know if having having one more uh, point guard type player on the roster wouldn't hurt. So like you know if you're if you're unable to move Bledsoe or Lonzo by the end of it. It's not the end of the world, um, just from from death purposes. But you know, like let's say you get back a Tad Young, let's say you get back a Lori Mark, and then let's say you get back, um, you know, let's say you combine some salaries and go get Harrison Barnes. Those, those players are going to make you better, just in a different way. And and so to me, you can still accomplish those goals of of competing for meaningful games, and 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 being a good team while also getting a look at players who may be a part of your future core. No one's, no one's making declarations that for sure these guys are going to be a part of your future core, but it's important to find out early, especially when we get into situations where you, uh, you, their contract is coming up, right? With Lonzo, you only had two years to evaluate him after that trade, um, and, and there wasn't that much time uh, to, to keep it honest. I mean, I mean, he kind of showed who he was, but it's, it's not that much time with Nikhil. You don't want to get in a situation where 
that second contract is coming and, and he's barely played any meaningful minutes. Same thing with Kyra. You want to play the meaningful minutes. And if they are good for your team, excellent. If they are good for your team and another team values them more than you do, even better. You know, uh, that's where you, you, you got to go, in my opinion. And that doesn't mean tanking for L's because I really think if, if you change the roster up a little bit, add some depth in, in that front court, um, and, you know, you just had like one steady guard that was a veteran guard, you could be a better team and trade, trade away the, the log jam you got going on in the backcourt. I think you can do that. Yeah. And so I'm not, I feel like if they trade all three, I'm, I'm not going to be upset about it. Um, I, I guess I just didn't go that far from the outset, but like, I mean, for example, if they trade Lonzo and they trade JJ, I think there's still a team that makes sense where you, you know, that, that blood so works around, not to say that you wouldn't just move him in the summer. Um, but like, I, I'm okay with just good asset management. And if you feel like, for example, um, you Bledsoe's value with one less year in his contract increases in the summer. And you think that, you know, you move on from JJ who's expiring, you move on from Lonzo, cause you don't, you know, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, you, you get a guard, maybe you get one guard back, maybe you get zero guards back and then and you go with Bledsoe, Josh Hart and, uh, and, and Naw and Kyra. And then you add it, like you said, another three, four who can maybe play a little bit up at three, probably more at four. Um, you know, I, I think that gives you options. And so um, I, I think, to, to your point, I, when I said you got to move one, I think I, I expect two out of the three uh, out. I, I would be surprised if all three are moved by the deadline, but it wouldn't it wouldn't sh- totally shock me. Yeah, without without spoiling too much of what I'm kind of writing in terms of trades, I'm, I'm working on this trade piece. It, it's the Bradley Beal piece. OK, it's it's the Bradley Beal piece. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing about it, but um, I'll just say this, that Bledsoe in this summer, he's he only he has this, I think 17 18 million dollar deal um the following year and then the following year after that one he only has 3 million guaranteed so he's almost an expiring he's an expiring plus um and you need that kind of salary that mid range salary that mid-sized mm-hmm. salary if you ever right. want to go star chasing if you ever want to just make meaningful trades for for players cuz good players make good money you know good players aren't cheap they're not making less than $10 million usually unless they're on the rookie scale contract. So you need that kind of salary. And so it's not the end of the world for me. If they're unable to move him, there's no, there's no real suitors for him. Uh, and they kind of hold on to him, use him as that, you know, remember what, what we used Tyreek Evans as when we, when we went mm-hmm. uh, after boogie kind of that situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I think I think that makes sense. And I, I will, maybe we should stop it there because I, I'm sure everyone's gonna be really excited to read it. <laughs> It's, no more so than you. Maybe you just read what you write and just like wish for wish for Bradley Beal even more. Yeah, I, I like I write it, I read it, and then I, I I get really excited. Then I go watch his highlights, and I read my article again, and then I go watch his highlights, and I read my article again. And I go watch his highlights, and then you know, and then then I'm on Twitter tweeting about it, and and yeah, it's it's how I get through my days these days. There are worse ways. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah no i mean be on the lookout for that guys it's it's it'll be interesting um yeah i mean i think i think mason and i agree you know on the fact that the pelicans can find ways to be a competitive going forward they're likely going to have an easier time given the strength of the opponents going forward um and if if injury luck holds up 
they shouldn't be this bad. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that that's a fair statement. And I think we could come back in a week or so, or even, you know, and the, the Pelicans next 10 games, I think Max sent a tweet out uh, about it this morning. I mean, they're, they're very winnable. Uh, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but there's so, I mean, they, they play Milwaukee, but besides that, I mean, th- they have a, a, a decent chance to win every single one of those other games. Um, I think they've got a road game in Indiana. Hopefully they'll be wanting revenge after the shit show down the stretch they played against them in New, in New Orleans. And so um, apart from that, lot, lots, a couple of games against the the, uh, the team we all love, the, the Rockets, and now has Eric Gordon and Boogie. Um, so that, that should be fun. But um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> check that they check the schedule and, and you just feel like they can they can make a rebound here for no other reason than the teams aren't that good. Yeah, still early. Only 15 games played a uh, long way in the season. Wait, there's been less than 15 games played for the Pelicans. They're five and nine. Yeah, 14 games played, long way to go. Uh, stay tuned for the Bradley Beal thing. Thanks for listening. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.